Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Here, our number, 877-381-3811, no doubt. By now you've heard of the uh, fantastic Common Pleas Appeals Court decision in Pennsylvania. matter was immediately appealed to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, where the same reprobates sit, who no doubt will cause problems. But I read this 52-page decision. Uh, by this court in Pennsylvania, and it was outstanding. And these are the two cases I've been talking about over and over and over and over again that have been utterly ignored by the media, utterly ignored even by our allies, utterly ignored by the Democrats and, and the never-Trumpers saying, oh, they bring these cases, they bring these cases, these are important, very, very important constitutional cases. I see there are slip-and-fall ambulance-chasing lawyers out there, too. We're trying to take credit for the hard work of, of other lawyers. The lead litigator in this case, who argued the case in front of the uh, Pennsylvania appellate court, his name is Greg Tufel, founder of OGC Law. He will be on the program at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I know him. Uh, my wife, Julie, has worked with the team of lawyers who worked on this case unsung heroes, volunteers for the most part, who were mocked. Oh, you're bringing in these volunteers against this great, these great law firms. Let me tell you something. Greg Tuffle, who's basically a single practitioner for the most part, and the team of volunteers he had, several young people, and my young wife. Well, she's only two years younger, but I consider her a lot younger. And others who worked on this case for free. Because they're believers in the rule of law and the federal constitution as well as the Pennsylvania constitution. What happened here, ladies and gentlemen, 
was that there is an act called Act 77. And I'm giving you the very bare basics because the, uh, the key lawyer himself will be on the program in a couple of hours. And the act was passed, and it was unconstitutional because it attempted to displace the Constitution of Pennsylvania, which required an amendment, an amendment by the people to change the voting system. It is very difficult to change the voting system in Pennsylvania, which is why they went to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, five to two Democrats, and they're not just appointed, they're elected. So you can see what we're dealing with. These are Biden Democrats. Most of them were elected by, uh, by a public sector of big labor, by the teachers' unions, bought and paid for, if you will. And so today, David beat Goliath. Today, the media can no longer say, well, they bring these cases and they're meritless, regardless of what the state Supreme Court does. And if the state Supreme Court violates the state and federal constitution again, as it has before, then the case will be need, well, they'll need to bring the case to the U.S. Supreme Court. And let us hope that this time the U.S. Supreme Court will take the case. This is the case. This is the case, one of two, that was brought to the U.S. Supreme Court. And they bailed. And they bailed. This Act 77 was unconstitutional. They don't allow this kind of widespread absentee voting in Pennsylvania as a matter of constitutional law. The drop boxes and the other changes made literally within days of the election. Now I want to say this as loud and as clear as I possibly can. This is a perfect example of the corruption that affected potentially the outcome of the results in the state of Pennsylvania. No question about it. Or why would the Democrats in that court have done what they did? If they felt that the results weren't going to be changed, why bend their constitution into a pretzel? And this wasn't just any opinion. It was a strong opinion. And the majority in this case had some strong words for what was done. And so there you go, ladies and gentlemen, a case I've been talking about that I've said on TV, that I've said on Levin TV, on Fox, behind this microphone, was a meritorious case, a very, very important case. And there was a sister case, a sister case that the Supreme Court should also have taken the U.S. Supreme Court. That no governor, no board of election, no secretary of state, and no state Supreme Court, particularly a rogue court like the Pennsylvania court, just like the 2000 court in Florida has the power to change the federal constitution. And if both of these cases have been taken up timely by the U.S. Supreme Court, I believe, I cannot know with certainty, I believe the results in Pennsylvania may well have been different. There's your cases right there. There they are. Fundamental cases of constitutional law that the U.S. Supreme Court ducked. And so this this state appellate court made its decision. People say to me, but you know the state Supreme Court, it's got five Dems and two Republicans, you know what they're going to do. They'll do whatever they're going to do, and they have to put their names to it. But with any help from God Almighty himself, let us hope the Supreme Court has enough guts to take it up. 
Let us hope that these justices are serious about faithfully executing the law. We shall see. We shall see. And I guarantee you, I don't know, that the major news organizations in this country, a.k.a. the major propaganda mills in this country, whether the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost, whether MSLSD or the Constipated News Network, whether NBC, ABC, CBS, or all the rest of the crap out there, I guarantee you they didn't lead with this case. Because it disproves the narrative. It disproves the narrative. So I wanted to be abundantly clear right out of the box. And we will have the lawyer who argued the case in front of the state appellate court. And I just want to congratulate him and all the lawyers that actually filed the briefs, did the research, because they were all volunteers, every one of them. And to my great frustration, there are lawyers out there who you've seen appear on TV before, lawyers out there who are fundraising off of this, who had literally nothing to do with it. They may have signed their name to a brief, but they didn't file any brief and they didn't make any argument. The people who won this case are unsung heroes whose names you don't even know. And they went up against the big dogs. They went up against the big Philadelphia law firms and the big Pittsburgh law firms. They went up against a former solicitor of the United States of America. They went up against the DNC and they whipped their asses. And I want to congratulate them. They do not seek glory. They do not seek attention. These are citizen lawyers who were denounced even by our side. Poor lawyers. They don't even know what they're doing. By individuals with big mouths who didn't know what the hell was taking place. That's why I said over and over and over and over again, and will continue to say, these were the two big cases. And had the United States Supreme Court taken up the other big case, all the changes that were made by governors, all the changes that were made by state courts, even federal district courts, all the bureaucratic changes that were made by Boards of elections and secretaries of states would have been killed, would have been stopped. Had the Supreme Court done its job in the first place. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. 
seems like every day you wake up or go to bed and some attack on police officers where they've been shot. I've never seen anything like this, and nobody else has either. And it's not by accident or coincidence that this is going on. I've been talking about it a lot here, talking about it on TV and radio, Levin TV. And notice, notice all the talk about systemic racism in the police force. You don't hear about that this week from CNN or MSNBC or the rest of the media, do you? No, 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 they're kind of laying low. People lie, things lay. Kind of laying low. Even worse, they pretend they give a damn. They don't give a damn. No. This assault on the cops has been going on for far too long. Now people think it's a, it's a free shot. What the hell? They've been in prison. They get out of prison. Illegal aliens who are criminals. They get to come back. Police officers. Tell me, would you put your life on the line every time you stop a car, you go to a domestic disturbance or something like that, earning what they earn? They earn a pittance. A pittance. Nothing. Compared to what other people earn. Nothing. It's funny, all during the pandemic, the cops were out there. They were working while the teachers wanted to stay home. While many of them still want to stay home. Cops didn't stay home. There's public employees and then there's public employees. There's public service and then there's a joke. Yes. The widow of police officer Jason Rivera. Jason Rivera, he didn't sound or look white to me. Did he to you, Mr. Producer? There's an awful lot of African Americans and Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans and other people who are police officers in this country. But you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. If you listen to the radical left and the media in this country, you wouldn't know it. Well, his widow spoke at his funeral today at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And the streets were packed with police officers, weren't they, Mr. Producer? Thousands who've had a damn enough of this. Hat tip Newsmax, cut to go. We are not safe anymore. Not even the members of the service. I know you were tired of these laws, especially the ones from the new DA. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. Officer Rivera was 22. They'd been married three months. I'm sure all of our blue family is tired too. But I promise, we promise, that your death won't be in vain. I love you to the end of time. We'll take the watch from here. 
What a brave, classy young woman. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. I'm so sick of these criminals getting away with what they get away with. And then when they're stopped, they're the victims. I'll tell you what we can do about this. Three strikes and you're out worked in California. The sentencing guidelines worked in the federal government. We have more people in prisons than any other country. Apparently we don't have enough. And what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. What does that prove? Well, there's something wrong with that country. It doesn't prove that at all. It proves that we have evil, violent people in an open society that need to be punished. In other countries that don't have a lot of people in prison, some of them are executed beforehand, some of them are dealt with in other ways, they don't keep the data properly. But what about Europe? Europe is a crumbling old culture. And some of us don't want us to follow. Some of us do not want us to follow. This poor woman will be, out, be, will be without her love of her life for the rest of her life. And you look at Officer Jason Rivera. Nice young man. His older brother said today, this is what he wanted to do. He was so proud to be a member of the NYPD. So proud. He treat cops like they don't exist. Like they're, inhuman, like, they, like they're not human. Just, just, it's just disgusting. Except when people need help, of course. Cops don't come, that's racist too, apparently. Well, this is the situation. It's not just New York, it's Houston. It's Kansas City. It's L.A. San Francisco. It's Philadelphia. It's Boston. It's every significant city. And even non-cities where deputy sheriffs are being killed, shot at. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we need to take a stand. We need to support our police. We need to vote these left-wing bastards out of office. And yes, we need to make sure that we arm ourselves and our families arm ourselves so if anyone breaks into our home, we can protect our families. That's what should be rational and normal. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education. And it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. Imprimus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. 
Mark Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. The media flacking for the January 6th committee. Any surprise there, ladies and gentlemen? How about this story? By John Solomon's Just the News. A fantastic site, by the way. Liberal mega-donor George Soros pumps $125 million into Super PAC to help Democrats in 2022 midterms. Soros says money will support causes, candidates, regardless of political party, but so far recipients all appear to be major Democrat PACs. Of course, it's not regardless of political party. He's their sugar daddy. He's the sugar daddy for the American Marxists. His money is everywhere. I don't know who's buying off more people and groups and politicians. Xi in the communist China or George Soros. It's amazing how this man's never investigated, not by Congress, not by the phony media outlets, not by any grand juries. This man wants to buy this election for the Democrats. He's putting $125 million dollars. Nobody's ever done that into a super PAC to help the Democrats in the midterms. You are going to be flooded now with commercials that lie to you. You are going to be flooded now with flyers that are sent to you. You're going to be overwhelmed with this information. They're going to use that money, I am sure, to push out their vote. So that's now two billionaires who are openly pushing their agenda. Although in the case of Mark Zuckerberg... With his $417 million, he didn't do it openly. So when you count Zuckerberg and Soros, you're talking about over half a billion dollars by two men. Who are radical leftists and surrogates of the Democrat Party. Laundering this money through PACs, laundering this money through so-called nonprofit organizations. Let's go on. The piece says... Let's see here. Billionaire mega donor George Soros has poured $125 million into a super PAC this election cycle. The money already being distributed to political action committees backing Democrat candidates and causes. Now, Soros has used the super PAC known as Democracy PAC since 2019 to support political campaigns. It says the group's money will support causes and candidates that I just talked about. But the money is so far going to Democrat-leaning groups, including $2.5 million to the Senate Majority PAC, that's Schumer, $1 million to the House Majority PAC, that's Pelosi, $1 million to the Democrat Association of Secretaries of State, why? To affect the elections. A group fighting to elect Democrats to the formerly obscure posts that become a well-known and heavily politicized after the 2020 election. They're talking about Secretaries of State and other positions of that sort. Soros calls his $125 million a long-term investment, quote-unquote, to continue supporting politicians and campaigns past 2020, because he's 90. There are no anal exams of this guy by the legal analysts out there. None. None. No. Nothing by the legal analysts out there. It's true. Soros' son, Alexander Soros, will serve as the president of the PAC, 
He cited the January 6th Capitol riot as an example of the ongoing efforts to discredit and undermine our electoral process. We just had a victory in Pennsylvania. And you watch that Pennsylvania Supreme Court, if it undermines that appellate court. That undermines our electoral process. That is an insurrection. One that's dressed up as a lawyerly, judge-made insurrection. He also argues such threats cannot be addressed in just one or two election cycles. You remember when the Black Panthers were threatening people at a voting precinct, Mr. Producer? Remember that several election cycles ago? They stood right outside threatening people. Nothing ever happened. Isn't that amazing? Following its filing with the Federal Elections Commission, democracy PAC spending will be posted publicly in the coming days. Can't wait for that, but there's usually a long delay between that and the spending of the money. Usually a long delay. But the Democrats never play fair. Talked about it the first hour, talking about Soros. We've talked about Zuckerberg. Gerrymandering. There's gerrymandering. It's a throwback to slavery. But nobody does gerrymandering better than the Democrats, who would know something about slavery, actually considering it occurred mostly under them. Over at our friends at Breitbart, DCCC, Democratic Campaign Congressional Committee, endorsed, they like the letters, you know, like USSR. DCCC endorses aggressive gerrymander to leave New York with three Republican seats. Did you see this, Mr. Producer? You live in New York. It's a lot of people in New York. Do you think it would really be representative of the people of New York, including other areas of New York, central New York, north New York, closer to Canada, you think it would be representative of them to have three Republicans in the whole state in the House of Representatives? Unbelievable. Well, as long as you get those illegal aliens voting, everything will be copacetic. The Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee wants the New York legislature to approve an aggressive gerrymander that would leave New York with three Republican and 23 Democrat seats in Congress. Now let me tell you how the Democrats have manipulated in a very nefarious and unconscionable manner the 1965 Civil Rights Act. The point of the 1965 Civil Rights Act, among other things, is to ensure that congressional districts aren't drawn in a way as to deny minorities, in particular black people, their representation in Congress. That's the purpose in one major section. So what the Democrats do with the so-called Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, yuck, yuck, what they do is any time districts are drawn that might help the Republicans, they go into federal court in the states that are covered, and they argue that they are trying to diminish the vote of minorities, particularly black citizens. You don't see that happening when the Democrats gerrymander, do you? And what the Democrats try to do is they try and put as many minorities in single districts as they possibly can so they can have as many white Democrats in Congress as possible. Did you know that? So from time to time you'll see these lawsuits where the Republicans and uh, black organizations are on the same side because the Democrat Party's playing the system. Now I keep warning We keep talking about 2022 as a blowout. Ladies and gentlemen, it may well be. And I pray to God that it is. But I'm not Nostradamus. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I see the polls. I see the, the pundits. I even hear some of the Democrats saying we're going to get blown out. Okay, I hope they do. But the Democrats are not rolling over and playing dead. Nobody, nobody is more sinister than the people who run that party and their lawyers. And what they are doing with gerrymandering right now is they're picking off a whole bunch of seats for themselves. Whether these people get elected or not. In other words, they're making certain that they are setting up these districts so only Democrats can win. You have a whole state in New York. You're going to wind up with three Republicans? In Maryland, they have one Republican House seat, Mr. Bader. They're trying to eliminate it. They're trying to eliminate all representation of any Republican in the House of Representatives from the state of Maryland. So anybody who doesn't live in Montgomery County or Prince George's County or Baltimore really won't have their representation. These are the population pockets, and the Democrats use the population pockets to try and destroy any Republican districts. And this is the game. And so if the Republicans go in and they say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We need to redraw that. Oh, you're taking a seat or two or three away from minorities. This is what the Democrats do. They are pernicious. They are evil. Did I say evil? I meant evil. This is how they play this game. And now they're going to use a lot of Soros' money to do it. Democracy pack. Who's he fooling? Who's he fooling? In his case, the whole pack should be called fascist pack. Because that's what they're promoting over there. In my humble opinion. And I know I'm right. We all know. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. There's been a lot of hubbub today. I don't even know what hubbub is, but there's been a lot of hubbub today about this call Biden had with the president of Ukraine, and there should be a lot of hubbub because there is a dispute over what actually took place. And uh, I heard our friend Kaylee McEnany, I heard her say, um, you know, this issue of transcripts that was brought up during Trump, the Democrats and the media, but particularly the Democrats, demanded the transcript from President Trump's call to the president of Ukraine, which was a perfectly fine call. Perfectly fine. 
the way they twisted it and twisted the wording is disgusting, but that's what they do, much like they treat the Constitution. But anyway, so people are talking about consistency here. Let's release the transcript. And I hear some Republicans saying, no, you know, I want to tell you something. If we do not use the opportunity to do to them what they do to us, this will never stop. We need to ram their tactics down their damn throats. Joe Biden must be impeached. And I want Kevin McCarthy to hear me clearly. Steve Scalise. Elise Stefanik. The three leaders of the Republican Party. He has committed impeachable offenses. I'm not talking about a syllable here and there and a transcript. I know. What's going on in the southern border in and of itself. Failing to comply with existing federal statutes respecting immigration is an effort to completely upset the constitutional construct. You do not have the right, the power, you do not have it as president to only enforce laws you agree with. And when we reach that point, it's over. And we have got to fight these tripwires. We've got to do it. And so I am telling you that this issue, and there are other issues, need to be used. Now, if the Republicans are too scared to bring it up during the course of the election, they'll make their own decision. But I want to make it clear, if they take the House, there's not going to be any patience for them to use the base the way Boehner sought to use the base, the way Paul Ryan sought to use the base, or the way any of these other phony speakers tried to use the base. We have individuals in the other party who are destroying our country. And we cannot have Marcus of Queensbury rules on one side and UFC rules on the other. No. This man has committed an impeachable offense, if not impeachable offenses. And there ought to be discussion about the 25th Amendment, because the 25th Amendment was actually adopted for cases like this. Where a man in the Oval Office, or a woman, or somebody transitioning, or whatever the hell, that person has lost more than a few marbles. Who is running this executive branch? Who's running the Biden administration? And the point of a, an inquiry based on the 25th Amendment is to get to the bottom of that. Not be, well, you've got to wait for this to trigger, that to trigger. No, the House can look into it. They can't trigger it themselves, but there's a reason they can look into it. But impeachment is actually easier than the 25th Amendment. There's no two-thirds vote requirement in the House. For conviction, of course, I'm talking about to open an investigation. They should put Jim Jordan at the top of that Judiciary Committee and start rolling. And maybe put, put one of the more solid individuals who really believe in the Constitution and the rule of law to head of Homeland Security, where all the activities going on are lack thereof. This cannot stand. He's negotiating with the Iranian regime, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, in secret. 
Congress, at least the Republicans, don't have the foggiest idea what's going on. On a matter of life and death. That bastard regime is trying to get ICBMs with nuclear warheads. What's that all about? And they ought to open a full-scale investigation. Not on Hunter Biden, not on Frank Biden, on Joe Biden, who's in the Oval Office. On Joe Biden, to determine the extent to which he's been bought off by the Chinese regime or any other regime. Joe Biden was always a political thug. Nasty, rotten, the way he treated other people. Who didn't deserve it? Bork, Thomas, others. Who didn't deserve it? We've had enough of sitting on our hands and watching this stuff. It's enough already. They're still chasing Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Still, still going after his taxes. Still going after his kids. Trying to pin January 6th on the President of the United States at the time, when he's the one that offered up the National Guard. Meanwhile... They're Helen Keller when it comes to Nancy Pelosi. Well, of course. That's what news anchors today, tonight, tomorrow should be asking Jim Jordan and others. How is it that she gets away with this? Nancy Pelosi. I want to say Brett Baer did ask Liz Cheney that question, by the way, when she was on his show. By the way, Liz, uh, we always have an open time for you to come on the program. You used to come on all the time when you were running for office and so forth. We'd love to have you back. We would, Liz. Liz. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Now, there should be a lot of pressure for a transcript of that phone call between President Zelensky of Ukraine and uh, the nitwit in the Oval Office, given what's taking place here. I feel very bad for this President Zelensky. He's a straight-up guy. He's a reformer. The office of uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, as the reporter Breitbart, released striking photos of him after a controversial Thursday evening phone call with Biden, who rumors claim told Zelensky to brace for impact from a Russian invasion. The Biden White House is denying what anonymous people told CNN about the controversial phone call. The text of the Ukrainian president's tweets is diplomatic, but the photos of Zelensky are consistent with claims that Biden told him A Russian invasion is almost inevitable in February, as soon as the ground freezes solid enough for Russian armor to roll across it, while a frustrated Zelensky insisted the invasion threat had been overhyped. He tweeted, had a long phone conversation with POTUS, 
discussed recent diplomatic efforts on de-escalation and agreed on joint actions for the future, thanked President Biden for the ongoing military assistance. Possibilities for financial support to Ukraine were also discussed. And you can see the photos where he's very distressed and very unhappy, you might say. Zelensky's press office threw in a third photo that showed him looking at his phone as though he wished telephones had never been invented. Although the text of the press statement made his conversation with Biden sound productive and supportive. And so, of course, people have been asking all day long, what about a transcript? And I would agree. What about a transcript? Now, national security on that, nobody cared about that. Just a few years ago, nobody. There should be no double standard. That only helps the people who are destroying our country. And by the way, destroying other countries too, like Ukraine. There should be no double standard, in my view. So release it. Well, you know, uh, Mark, uh, we, we would like to do that, but we really can't, you know, given the... Uh, no, no, no. Where are the whistleblowers? Where are the whistleblowers? Are there any whistleblowers out there? Apparently not. Nobody seems to give a damn except us. But then again, when and if the Republicans take control of the House, they should make these demands, shouldn't they, Mr. Producer? Folks, I'm telling you that if we don't treat them the way they treated President Trump and the Republicans, should the Republicans take back the House, it'll be a disaster for decades to come. A disaster. I'm quite serious about this. The Republicans must give the Democrats the Democrat Party treatment. I'm not joking about this. Then the Democrats might back off when they're in control. But if they see the Republicans are patsies like they typically are, they see that they're Boehner patsies or Ryan patsies or McConnell patsies, they'll just up the pressure next time. That's the problem. At the post-millennium, they point out that there's an effort to try and get these, uh, these remarks released. CNN's The Lead with Jake Tapper posted and later deleted a report on social media reporting on Joe Biden's call with the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Now, you've heard a lot of this all day. Which went poorly, apparently, for Biden. Per the report, Biden told Zelensky Russian invasion of Ukraine was virtually certain the country's capital city, Kiev, would be sacked and potentially even occupied by Russian forces within weeks. Biden then reportedly informed his Ukrainian counterpart the U.S. would not be sending any advanced military equipment. Why not? Well, what are we doing there? What's the point? Usual morons. Are putting any boots on the ground to support Ukraine in the event of an invasion by Russian forces? I don't think we should send boots on the ground. Did Reagan send boots on the ground to take out the Soviet Union? No. Just be smart. A portion of the Jake Tapper report on the subject ran live on CNN. 
detailing how poor the meeting was for Biden. During the meeting, Zelensky allegedly told Biden to calm down. when The U.S. president insisted that a Russian invasion was imminent. Now, look, one of two things took place here. Either the person who gave this information to CNN, the constipated news network, and fake Tapper, absolutely head faked them, or is telling the truth and Biden and his people are lying. And I would bet on the latter. But we need to get to the bottom of it. We need to get to the bottom of it. We got to know what Biden said. We got to know. And more of a reason here than when, when, when Trump spoke to the president of Ukraine. Because Biden's son, and indirectly, likely, the rest of the Biden family, enriched themselves through Ukraine. So it seems to me that it's quite relevant to have that transcript. I would think that even even the folks that gathered the other night in McLean, Virginia, to raise money for Liz Cheney's race against Liz Cheney out there in Wyoming. She goes to McLean, Virginia. Not Cheyenne, Wyoming. No, McLean, Virginia. Where the would-be's, has-been's, and wannabes gather with the great Mitt Romney. I'm sure he's a big fundraising draw. With the great Mitt Romney. Barbara Comstock, former congressperson. Good job, Barbara. She's now a lobbyist for somebody or other. Doing very, very well, I understand. Oh, imagine that. And even Scooter Libby who benefited from the Trump pardon when George W. Bush couldn't muster enough strength to give him a full pardon. He was there at the Liz Cheney event, too. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I hear Liz wants to run for president. I'm not sure which country, but I understand she wants to run for president. She has all the credentials, doesn't she? To be a Democrat, I would say. No. Liz is busy running the January 6th committee. I understand that during these sessions behind closed doors, she's absolutely vicious, even vile, to anybody with a connection to Trump. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, this is now the third investigation of the Trump people. The two phony impeachment investigations. This is effectively, as I've said to you before, the third impeachment investigation. We're going to get everybody's texts. We're going to get everybody's emails. We're going to see what they said. Then we're going to leak them. We got to get Sean Hannity here. We're going to, yeah, yeah. We're, we're really looking into this. Uh, what did Nancy Pelosi do? What does she have to do with the uh, protection of the building on January 6th? Well, didn't she turn down the National Guard? We're not interested in that. That's not our objective. They're not interested in the protection of the Capitol building, folks. Do they seem like they're interested in the protection of the Capitol building? We're going to try and get it. He doesn't even know this yet. Brandon Strock on the program, Mr. Producer. Let's invite him on the program. He can come on either Monday or Tuesday. He should have his lawyer with him too, though. Where we can discuss what he confronted when they went after him. If he wants to, his lawyer should be present. Because I don't want to get him in, you know, further trouble. So make that abundantly clear. 
or anybody who knows him can now tell him. And that way uh, we can have that discussion and reach millions of people right here on the Mark Levin Show. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. You know, <clears throat> some of you out there, a rather strange image of me. I walk up to people, Mr. Badoo, you've seen it. They say, you're taller than I think. I'm six feet. Um, right now, I'm about 200, 220. I gained about four or five pounds. I got to lose it, and I will. But I used to be six feet and about 242 and 42. So these punks would come up to me, you know. And yes, I can't defend myself. It's not, I don't look for it. I'm not looking for trouble. But just to be honest, I'm not a wimp either. So that said, come up to me. And so, many of you are probably thinking out there, you're a pretty good whistler. Some of you think, well, I am. And some of you probably think, you can't dance. I don't think I dance very well. My wife thinks I dance great, by the way, Mr. Producer. How do you dance, Rich? I can't imagine you dancing. You dance very well? You ever see that commercial where, I forget, it's the medicine or whatever it is, somebody has pain in their knees, then the guy's like mopping up the floor dancing. You see that show? You know what I'm talking about? I'm going, how does he do that? All right, enough of this. We have to get back. We have to go on offense. Enough of this. Let's see here. I'm trying to pull up the call screen, Mr. Producer. Do you have a caller? Irregular or regular American? Do we ever get irregular Americans anymore? You, you irregular Americans. I want to give you a special number. 877 I used to offer you free government cheese if you'd call, but you know, Biden's been handing out checks like it is government cheese, but I will continue to offer you free government cheese as I have over the years. Give us a buzz. You, what, do, what do you have to hide from? All right, give me a regular American, please. Yonkers, New York, the great WABC. Maureen, how are you? Hi, Mark. 
This yes. is Kathleen. I'm calling from Yonkers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Hold on now. Hold on. I thought you were Maureen. Kathleen. It's close. Kathleen. Uh, Irish name. So you changed yeah. your name in the middle of the call? Uh, no, I wouldn't do that. I've always been Kathleen. And you're from so where again? I happen to be Yonkers, Westchester County, Yonkers, New York. I know where Yonkers is. I was just just wondering again. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, what's to... Yonkers named after? Do you know Yonkers? What's a Yonker? Yes, I do. It's what named it? after a man named uh, Vanderdonk. He was a Dutch um, Dutch man, very wealthy. And the name Yonkers actually comes from, uh, I believe, the old Dutch, meaning um, like uh, nobility. And really? so he was called Yonkers. It was kind of a... Kind of like saying, "Hey, dude," you know, <laughs> whatever. It was a local name, but he was—he had the sawmill. He was a very. Now wait a minute, Maureen. May I call you Maureen? I mean, Kathleen. Okay. May I call you Kathleen? Uh, how do you know so much sure. about the name Yonkers? Because I happen to like Yonkers history and Westchester mm-hmm. County history. But um, are you head of the I, local I Yonkers Historical Society? I've done some things there, and I yeah, know some yeah. people there, and I really? know them. Very but, good. Yes, sir. That, that's very cool. Sherwood host. Yes. Very cool. Thank you. Go right ahead. I wish I, so I just wanted to let you know. Well, let me ask you this question. Where does Westchester get its name from? Is there an West East Chester? Chester? I'm not familiar with an East Chester. Are you familiar yeah. with an East Chester? There is one. Mr. Producer, did you know there's an East Chester? You did, too? Okay. So where does the name Chester it's come part from? Of the Chester, where does the uh, name Chester? I think Chester's just like a... Yeah, what I think now? that's just like an English word. But I think Chester is just like an English word, like a Chestershire or whatever, but mm-hmm. East Chester mm-hmm. and West Chester, they're two different um, parts here. Like two sides Bronx. of the tracks, you might say. So to speak. Is there a North Chester and a South Chester? No, there's not that I'm aware of. Why? But the, there's Katona and Chappaqua. We have uh, those Chappaqua. places which talk about mm-hmm. the tracks, that low-income housing picture, uh, project I is know. right on the other side of the track. Yeah, away from the Clintons, Co-op. I notice. Mm-hmm. Away from the Clintons. It is. It is. I have a well, I would say this, my friend. I believe that the Clintons brought down housing prices, probably property prices, wouldn't you? Um, I couldn't speak too much to that. Unfortunately, that's not in my realm of... Uh, <laughs> By the way, how many members are there of the uh, Yonkers Historical Society? I'm just curious. I don't know. I'm sure it's not a big group. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's not a big group because they're always looking for people to help out these kind of organizations. So Yeah, I think so. But what do they do there? I mean, what do they do there? Once you've written a chapter on Yonkers history, what's left to do, quite frankly? There's Just meet and have donuts? What's that? No, I'm not. I, no, I agree, no. but. Yeah. <laughs> Am I offending everybody well, on the I'll Yonkers uh, Historical uh, Society Committee? Uh, that's not my intention, of course. No, I don't think so. I think anybody would be happy to have you talk about them. Well, Maureen, I mean, Kathleen, you've been, you've been terrific. I want to thank you and give my best to everybody. I don't know why you called, but I want to thank you very, very much. I'll be right back. 
Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Well, folks, the people at Reason, which is a libertarian site, it's actually quite a good site. Robbie uh, Suave, I guess, or Soave. The Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot looks an awful lot like entrapment. This has been so weird. And the failure of our government, even though we the people are supposed to run it to tell us who was where, what, when, on January 6th, is another problem. But don't look to Philly Bump to give you an answer. Who's Philly Bump exactly? He's the national correspondent for the Washington Compost. You know what that means? It means he sits on his fat ass eating tasty cakes all day, playing with his, uh, with his computer. That's it. Typing out stuff, mentioning me, he doesn't even know me, this slob. But it doesn't matter. The militia members who allegedly plotted to kidnap Michigan's Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer because of her COVID-19 lockdown policies will go to trial in just a few weeks. Six were charged in connection with the plot, and one of them has already pled guilty and is expected to testify against the rest. State authorities charged eight others with aiding a terrorist plot. Did they charge them yet with trespassing and parading on uh, government property? I'm just curious. But the government's case against these 14 alleged extremists relies on work done by at least a dozen government informants and undercover FBI agents whose extensive involvement in the plot calls into question whether it would have moved forward at all without the government's prodding. Why is the government prodding people to kidnap the governor of Michigan, ladies and gentlemen? To set them up. Some of these government actors took lead roles in organizing the supposed plot. One of the informants was even paid $54,000 by the FBI. Taken together, these and other details raised a strong possibility that the militia members were victims of entrapment on the part of the FBI. No, no. Would that be the FBI officials who went after Trump with Russia collusion? Or lied to the FISA court? Or were leaking? Like a bear, like a bad set of depends? I don't know. Indeed, the revelations have prompted considerable welcome scrutiny of the case from the mainstream media. Quote, The FBI investigation into the alleged plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has gotten very complicated, conceded BuzzFeed News in an in-depth examination of the available evidence published last month. And earlier this week, the New York Slimes acknowledged the involvement of informants and agents had muddled the case. No, they shouldn't say muddled the case. They should say this case should be dropped. It's a disgrace. What the hell is the FBI doing? Don't they have enough work chasing down protesters from January 6th? Don't they have enough work going after Donald Trump and his family? Here's what the slime said. On a rainy night in northern Michigan in September 2020, a group of armed men divided among three cars surveyed the landscape around the vacation cottage of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, considering how to kidnap her as back pay for her COVID-19 lockdown measures. Two men descended from the lead car to inspect a bridge on Route 31 in nearby Elk Rapids, assessing what was needed to blow it up to delay any police response to the house on nearby Birch Lake. Later, 
After team members returned to the rural camp where they had already conducted military-style training exercises, a man identified as Big Dan in government documents asked the assembled group, Everybody down with what's going on? Another man responded, If you're not down with the thought of kidnapping, don't sit here. Of the dozen men on the nighttime surveillance mission, four of them, including Big Dan, were either government informants or undercover FBI agents, according to court documents. Is this why we have an FBI, folks, to encourage people to kidnap a governor? And then to charge those people with trying to kidnap a governor? Does this not sound like Putin and Xi and the Islamo-Nazis and Taylor? Does this not sound like a big setup? Big Dan was no passive inspector. After initially alerting the authorities that he was involved in a Facebook group for militia members in which violence against police officers had been discussed, he agreed to become an informant. The government paid him $54,000 for six months' work. And when the militia group surveilled Whitmer's vacation home, it was Big Dan leading the charge. According to the group's defense attorneys, Big Dan, an Iraq war vet, took charge of training the other men in military tactics. And that's not all. Big Dan's FBI handler, Jason Chambers, had a side hustle. Chambers was attempting to build a security consulting business in the midst of the investigation. It's easy to see how his desire to create a brand for himself could have led him to encourage Big Dan to nudge the plot along. BuzzFeed obtained a resume that Chambers had shared with prospective clients. And in that document, he took credit for using, quote, online undercover techniques, unquote, to investigate terrorist groups. According to BuzzFeed, Chambers has a long history of participating in FBI investigations of Muslim youths who were enticed by law enforcement to become involved in holy, theoretical, violent plots, according to their defense attorneys. Chambers is no longer slated to participate in the trial. Too bad. Another government asset, Stephen Robeson. I said Stephen Robeson worked as an informant during the investigation, but is no longer involved after pleading uh, guilty to various felonies. And the government's star witness, FBI agent Robert Trask, T-R-A-S-K, was fired by the agency after beating his wife following an orgy at a swingers party. Suffice it to say, it's very hard to tell the cops from the criminals in this matter. The court may determine that none of this matters. It depends who the judges are. If they're Obama judges or Biden judges, you're hitting a, uh, you're hitting a wall. And that even though the defendants were clearly goaded into action by the very law enforcement agents seeking to ensnare them, they still made the colossally stupid decision to proceed. Historically, victims of entrapment have had a tough time prevailing no matter how duplicitously the FBI behaved. But in any case, it is now clear. Whitmer was in no real danger. You know what I would like to know, as a matter of fact? <clears throat> if Whitmer was tipped off to this. At all stages of the alleged plot, the FBI was aware of every facet. Their agents and informants were intimately involved, not just surveilling the militia members, but actively offering guidance on how to pull off the kidnapping. Yet Whitmer has become a more sympathetic figure on the national stage, because she's perceived as a victim of former President Donald Trump's reckless rhetoric and emboldening of right-wing domestic terrorists. Every time the president ramps up his violent rhetoric, every time he fires up Twitter to launch another broadside against me, 
my family, and I see a surge of vicious attacks sent our way, wrote Whitmer in the Atlantic article titled, The Plot to Kidnap Me. The thrust of her piece is that Trump's criticism of governors in blue states inspires real violence. She cites her own case as a near example. And so we go. Then he starts trashing conservatives of respecting January 6th. If that fascinates you or entices you or you think that's something new, you can go read that part yourself. But I read this part because he details the Whitmer case, of which there is no case. If the informants and the FBI weren't involved, it sounds like none of this would have happened. What are they doing? Why are they wasting everybody's time and resources? Is there not enough to do here, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, I would say there is. We've got a lot of criminals out there. Murderers, rapists, illegal aliens coming across the border, violating our laws. Every time the FBI comes up with a budget, they say their numbers are, are stretched thin. Hmm. Well, maybe they should stop setting up citizens, even those who are gullible. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team, based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Don't forget... Very important guest who will be interviewed only as I can interview, given my background. The uh, lead lawyer in the case, there was one in the Pennsylvania Appellate Court, and of course they have to run right to the state Supreme Court because they've intervened. The uh, Democrat Party immediately appealed. Um, and here we are, David versus Goliath. In this case, I think we'll have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and hopefully they'll have enough sense. Look, I know it's not a, uh, you know, an antitrust case. I understand. I know it's not a Biden case. I, I, I got it. But it is an important case nonetheless. Let's go to David Casper, Wyoming, XM Satellite. Casper, Wyoming, home of Liz Cheney, who is busy campaigning in McLean, Virginia. David, how are you, sir? Yeah, let's not talk about Liz Cheney. She's done here in Wyoming. 
Let's but, hope. Mark, thank you so much for everything that you do. And um, retired law enforcement, many years of investigation, um, patrol work. But I want to thank you for mentioning entrapment because no one seems to be mentioning that anywhere when we talk about January 6th and specifically the Michigan case with mm-hmm. Governor Whitmer because that is a tenant in law enforcement that you're just not allowed to do entrapment. And you're bringing it up, but no one else seems to be talking about it. But that's a basic tenet that law enforcement and government officials can't put people in place to commit a crime by encouraging them to commit the crime. It's just it's a tenet that you learn throughout your entire law enforcement career, and it's just disappointing to see our FBI agents do that knowing for well what the law says and what case law says that we can't do. It's disappointing. And, you know what, and, and David, don't they have... A lot to do? I mean, what is this? Spending time and money on uh, setting up people. What is that all about? It's ridiculous. They're way too politicized. I don't know. Did they set up anyone in Black Lives Matter? Did they set up anyone in Antifa? Did they set up anyone in any of these Marxist organizations? I'm just curious. I mean, if they have, they've kept it really secret. Anyway, how's Casper, Wyoming these days? How is it out there? Cold, I guess cold and windy but uh the uh we're moving in the right direction we're going to have a new uh representative here soon and uh do you have a yonkers historical society in casper sir uh i believe we do yeah yeah I wonder if they have a casper historical society in yonkers yeah go right ahead <laughs> I just want to say, you know, for my brothers and sisters in blue and and sheriffs and all law enforcement, I just, I really would ask that they consider some of the actions that they're doing. Some of the things I'm seeing come out of New York where officers are arresting people for things that these unconstitutional mandates. At some point, I just ask that law enforcement steps up and says, enough is enough. We can't, these are unconstitutional orders, and we took an oath to uphold the Constitution of this country and the Constitution of your state. Remember that before politics. Remember that before anything that you do as a law enforcement officer. That's what we swore an oath to. Here's the thing, I don't disagree with that, I really don't. But the problem is these guys and gals that are caught between a rock and a hard place because they'll lose their jobs. There's not a judge in New York City. That will protect these cops. Not one. Not one. You know, it's not like Casper. It's really a disaster. I get your point. Sometimes I watch and I say, geez, why are they going into that restaurant and doing all that stuff? But, uh, and then I, I just wonder, you know, a lot of these guys can't miss a paycheck. But I want to thank you, David, for your service, my friend. Take care of yourself. Any sighting of Liz Cheney out there? No, she's in... McLean, Virginia, which is a very nice area. I like McLean, Virginia. But it's not exactly Casper, Wyoming. Joe, Milford, Connecticut on the Mark Levin app. Quickly, my friend, go. Mark, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So I have a question for you. I, uh, I is saw it true or false or about... multiple choice? What? <laughs> well, I'm hoping you actually might have the answer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with the Randall we- Randall Weaver case? Are you better uh, when he was set up by the FBI? I wrote about that in National Review at the time, and he sure as hell was. Yes, I am. 
So I was wondering what was the actual outcome, because I, I remember him giving, uh, he was testifying before Congress, and I mean, did they ever, did, was he ever challenged? I don't remember the outcome. I don't even know if my article's still around. But I remember that poor guy and his wife and his baby and all the rest of it. They weren't minding their own business. They weren't bothering anybody else. And they were surrounded. And then they came up the hill. And, of course, uh, Randall didn't even know who the hell they were. And there's a shootout. And I seem to recall one or more members of his family's killed. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Disastrous. Yes, I do remember Randall Weaver. And that's, that story it was terrible. We'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. You know, when uh, things go badly, people don't raise their hand and say, I was involved in that. When they go well, people raise their hand who aren't even involved in it. And I saw some of that happening this morning with this case in Pennsylvania before this appellate court, which was an outstanding decision. Um, And I read it, 52 pages in length. And it was a strong decision. And already it's going to be appealed to the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. But I said... I should bring on the program the man who actually argued the case, Greg Tufel, who's really the David up against Goliath. Greg, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Mark. It's my pleasure. Would you walk through this, how this got started, and the hiccups that took place, and then what took place today? Sure. So this law, Act 77, that implemented no-excuse mail-in balloting in Pennsylvania was passed in 2019 before the COVID pandemic as a compromise between Republicans and Democrats. Republicans got rid of straight party voting in Pennsylvania where you could just pull one lever and vote all the Republican candidates or all the Democrat candidates. And Democrats got no-excuse mail-in voting in their in their kind of compromised legislation. And um, then the uh, 2020 elections occurred and... Uh, Number of people started scrutinizing the laws to, uh, at that point, uh, wondering what they could do legally and discovered that this law was unconstitutional and there was a basis to bring an action. So 
after, right after the 2020 election in November 2020, we brought the first challenge, all the same arguments, um, to Act 77, explaining that the Pennsylvania Constitution provides all the circumstances under which you're allowed to vote absentee. And if you want to change that list to expand it to anyone for any reason, you can, but you have to do a constitutional amendment. And that's the way this PA Supreme Court has interpreted the Pennsylvania Constitution for 150 years, where each time the legislature has tried to do increase the list of people that could vote absentee or vote by mail um, beyond what the Constitution allowed, just to do it by just legislation, the Supreme Court has struck it down two times. And those decisions remain the law in Pennsylvania. You know, under principles of stare decisis, they're very strong law. There's no real reason to overturn them or turn your back on, on those laws. So the Pennsylvania Constitution has been interpreted for you know, 150 years, requires or allows only certain categories of absentee voting. And uh, But because of the relief that we were seeking after the 2020 election included retrospective relief to change, you know, potentially change the outcome of an election, certainly require, uh, you know, some sort of remedy for the fact that there were a couple million illegal votes, essentially. Um, the court reacted very badly, the PA Supreme Court did, and uh, didn't like the relief that we were suggesting might be available. And focused entirely on that and dismissed the case on procedural grounds, what the uh, legal doctrine called latches, that I know you've spoken about on your program a number of times, but basically it says that we waited too long to file suit and therefore your suit's dismissed. And uh, But that's really a doctrine only applicable when you're seeking retrospective relief, relief as to past things that have already gone past. Whenever you're only seeking future relief, or certainly whenever you're seeking future relief, uh, latches should not apply. So we um, got the idea of challenging, bringing another legal challenge, just prospectively seeking relief as to future elections only. And uh, that's what we filed back in August of 2021. And while we were preparing the complaint, um, another gentleman, uh, McClinko, uh, in uh, north central Pennsylvania, had the same idea and, in fact, used all the same arguments from the 2020 lawsuit and also filed a claim. So used all the arguments you guys already put in your briefs. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, lifted straight out of straight out of the briefs, yep. which they were great arguments, and I'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. they agree with them and, and glad they put them forth. Uh, and we we had our case consolidated with their case, and we moved forward together to uh, argue the case in the Commonwealth Court. Thankfully, this time uh, reached the merits. In the previous case. The Commonwealth Court sort of reached the merits. Um, it had granted a preliminary injunction uh, on the assumption that uh, well, we had a strong likelihood of success in the merits was what they, they held in 2020 through a single judge. This time it was the Commonwealth Court on banc. Uh, it was five judges, and uh, three of them voted our way on the merits, finding that, in fact, Act 77 did violate the Constitution. Um, which was pretty obvious, and uh, on that basis struck down Act 77 in its entirety. Act 77 has a anti-severability provision in it so that if any part of it's declared unconstitutional, the whole act has to be stricken down. So that uh, would put an end to no-excuse mail-in balloting in Pennsylvania unless and until uh, they follow the proper procedure, which in Pennsylvania you have to pass a law through two legislative sessions and then put it on the ballot for all the Pennsylvania voters to vote on. And in this case, mm-hmm. by, by skipping that procedure, 
they effectively disenfranchised eight or nine million Pennsylvania voters, denying them the right to vote on whether we change dramatically the method of voting in Pennsylvania from limited absentee balloting and in-person voting to massive no-excuse mail-in voting in addition to in-person and absentee voting. So so Pennsylvania voters are entitled by their own constitution uh, to vote on any massive change like this to the constitution, and they, the legislature can't bypass it with mere legislation. This is a very important point you you raised just there, which is they'd like to talk about you all and anybody who opposes their views uh, opposing people from voting. And you're saying, wait a minute, if you're going to change the Pennsylvania Constitution, you have to allow the people to participate in that process. It's not an easy process. They made it very difficult. But some court can't do it. The governor can't do it. And the legislature can't do it like it's a piece of legislation, correct? Correct. And this time around, we we took very great care to only seek prospective relief, meaning we were very clear we don't want them to overturn the result of any election. We So they cannot accuse us this time of seeking to disenfranchise anybody. The only one seeking to disenfranchise anybody is the government, in this case, seeking to disenfranchise all the Pennsylvania voters who were entitled to vote on a change of this magnitude and were denied that opportunity by an end around through legislation when it should have been a constitutional amendment. And yet they still got two Democrats to vote their way. And I was trying to analyze this. I said, it doesn't even make any sense. All they argue is, you know, the world has changed. The culture has changed. uh, This nebulous language should be used. They blow out all the Supreme Court precedent, as you say, 150 years of reading of this Constitution. I don't know how a Constitution could be clearer than this Constitution. Do you? Yeah, I'm really confused and troubled by uh, the dissenting opinions on the merits. I will say this. I'm happy they agreed on the procedural issues, mm-hmm. that latches doesn't apply, that the, the litigants have standing. All, all of the cop-outs, they agreed with the Republicans were, were not proper arguments, were not valid arguments, and that the court should reach the merits. So everyone on the panel, Democrats and Republicans alike, agreed that the merits should be reached in this situation, which is, that's refreshing. At least we're not getting, you know, they're not urging to be bounced on a stupid procedural basis and refusing to even consider the merits. But the, um, the, the, the analysis of the dissents really does not like make a lot of sense to me. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't see how, especially at the Commonwealth Court level, they don't feel bound by the Supreme Court precedent. They, the, they, they really did not, in my opinion, adequately distinguish in any way the, the Supreme Court precedents that are binding on the Commonwealth Court. So it's one thing for to urge the PA Supreme Court to maybe try and abandon or overturn the precedents, but they didn't have that latitude at the Commonwealth Court level, so it's very confusing to me how the judges could justify disregarding clear binding Supreme Court precedent, clear language in the PA Constitution, and rule instead that no, no, and and in fact, here's the key thing, Mark. So Section 4 of Article 7 of the Constitution says that the legislature can, and maybe I should quote it for you, but it says basically that the the legislature can prescribe uh, other methods other than balloting for voting. And here, let me... uh, Mm-hmm. You, it says, all elections by citizens shall be by ballot or by such other method as may be prescribed by law, provided that secrecy in voting be preserved. That's pretty short. Now, now, remember, it says, shall be by ballot or by such other method as may be prescribed by law. What the dissents did is they said other method includes voting by mail. But you know what you'd mail when you do a no-excuse mail-in vote? You mail a ballot. 
Mm-hmm. It is not another method with by ballot. And what this section, Section 4, referred to is other methods like, for example, flicking a switch on a machine, right? which is not a ballot, okay? I mean, and before that, long before, um, it used to be you, you could raise your hand in a public meeting. This is before the Australian ballot was initiated in Pennsylvania. There was also voice voting in Pennsylvania. Those are other methods other than by ballot. What isn't another method? And by ballot is to mail the ballot. That's a method that's been in existence for a long time. Absentee voting by ballot, by by mail. Um, but let's, not a let's new explain why. Let's explain. Yeah. Well, no, it, it's a piece of it's a paper ballot, and no reason. Yeah, go ahead. To give to vote in that form is not accepted. Period, and hasn't been accepted in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Correct. No oh, reason. If you were voting absentee, there was always a strong reason. Maybe you're in the military. Maybe you're too sick to get to the polls, or you have a religious holiday on that day, or some some valid excuse why you can't vote in person made sense. Now they're blown it up to no excuse whatsoever. In person voting in in the place of the polling place is no longer a requirement under Act 77, and that's that's a big blow to election integrity. That opens mm-hmm. up all sorts of avenues for abuse and misbehavior, um, it, and it, it reduces confidence in the integrity of the Pennsylvania election system. So that's a really big change. It's something that if Pennsylvania wants it, they could legally implement it through a constitutional amendment, but to bypass all the Pennsylvania voters and go, nah, we're just, as a legislature, we can, we can do this, um, is wrong. Again, I want to underscore your last point. Those who argue, well, you guys just don't want people to vote. The very process by which this was instituted specifically rejected the right of the people to participate specifically rejected the right of the people to change the law which is pretty much the amendment president which is what was what the constitution of pennsylvania compels so they are not on the high ground when they say we want to just expand voting for everybody no you don't you want to expand it at times and you want to eliminate it at times that's why you have to follow the state constitution I think that's going to be important as you go up. And let me and explain to the uh, audience when we come back, if you will, Greg. Mm-hmm. It's already been appealed to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. Why has it been appealed so quickly? When we come back, fill us in a little bit on that. We'll be right back with the lead attorney. Mark Levin. Our guest is Greg Tufel, who was the uh, lawyer argued the case in the Commonwealth Appellate Court in Pennsylvania uh, to victory uh, in a 3-2 decision. I don't even understand how the two dissents, I mean, I read it, it's just preposterous, uh, in a case uh, that the Supreme Court threw out about a year or so ago, and uh, they feel, and I think they have too, they've taken a lot of the arguments that that court used away from it relative to timing, the bringing of the case. Uh, But I don't put anything past this court. But there's already been an appeal to the state Supreme Court. Greg, tell us about that. Well, uh, yeah, obviously the the government and the Democrat Party that were on the opposing side were anticipating the strong likelihood of losing at the Commonwealth Court level. So they obviously prepared their appeal in advance and 
got it filed immediately as soon as the decision was filed, so it wasn't a surprise to them. They are, as I think you may have mentioned on your program, on the other side, they're extremely well-funded, mm-hmm. um, and they brought in the big guns. They've got uh, Seth Waxman, the uh, former Solicitor General, on their side, coming in from D.C. to argue the case, and uh, they have a, a slew of other very expensive litigators all involved, a large team, uh, you know, against it's sort of a David and Goliath-type situation mm-hmm. here. But, and uh, uh, they, they what, what is the, what is the timing? You have to respond by when and so forth. Well, there are different pieces that we have to. There's not a briefing schedule yet, which will probably be set forth in an expedited fashion. So we'll wait and see. Hopefully, it won't be quite the fire drill it was in 2020, where they were giving us you know two and three days to write briefs, and I had to pull five all-nighters um, in, during November and December last year. But um, this hopefully will have a slightly more reasonable, but I do expect expedited schedule for the briefs so that the case can be decided before the May primary. That's what I hope. I do expect the court will treat it as important and also urgent to get done quickly. Um, but we have deadlines already on Monday in the PA Supreme Court for a response to the jurisdictional question and the questions presented that were filed today by uh, the opposing parties. So there's the deadlines are going to be coming at us pretty hard and pretty fast. And uh, you have help, right? There's a small group, a yes. small band of you, I think. Yes. Yes, you know one of them very well. And yes. uh, there are a handful of volunteer lawyers that are helping out tremendously. And uh, I, can, I, I don't know, if they, I don't think they want me to mention yeah, their Yeah, they better be careful. Right yeah. Yeah. But um, but they, they've been invaluable, and uh, this is certainly not a one-person show here. I've, I've had excellent help. But you've been fantastic. I mean, my understanding is you've gone in there, very plain-spoken, like a typical Pennsylvanian. I'm a Pennsylvanian, although I don't know if I'm plain-spoken, but you go in there and you explain it, and <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, I, I think. Doesn't that seem like a pretty straightforward case to you? Yeah, it's not terribly complicated, um, and I really, I'm hoping against hope that the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court will just simply be faithful to the interpretation of the Constitution, not allow whatever partisan politics to influence the decision in any way. I, I'm dis- disheartened and disappointed that the Commonwealth Court split on party lines, three three Republicans in favor of our side and two against. Um, you know, I, I hope that's not a reflection of partisan politics, and I really hope we don't see uh, a reflection of partisan politics in the way that the PA Supreme Court decides the case. The, the merits are pretty strong and pretty obvious, and uh, it, it really shouldn't be, uh, you know, Democrats shouldn't be unhappy today. This, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with this law being stricken down. Um, you know, if they want mail-in voting, it's still very possible to implement that through a proper constitutional amendment. But, but, but Greg, um, so they must think they can't get it. Yeah. Otherwise, why? Let me ask you this, though. If something happens in the, this state Supreme Court, are there yeah. grounds for going to the U.S. Supreme Court? I mean, I know we have to wait and see what they say, but still, it seems to me that it does affect federal elections as much as it affects local and, and statewide elections. Yeah, so I'll explain that real quickly. There, are, we That's the one different thing we did in our, our petition than they did in the McClinko petition that was, that was consolidated with our case. We set forth federal claims. Mm-hmm. Basically, the federal constitution, as you know, delegates to the states the ability to conduct elections for federal offices. 
And the requirements on the states in doing that are very limited. But one of the requirements uh, that they do impose on the state is that the state follow its own constitution in the conduct of federal elections. So when a state violates its own constitution in the way it conducts federal elections, they are also violating that delegation of federal power. They're violating the federal constitution as well. So in this case, we asserted uh, Section 1983 civil rights claims for violation of federal constitutional rights as well. And one of the disappointing things about the decision today, the Commonwealth Court, when they ruled in our favor... Hold on right there. Hold on right there. I got to take a hard break. I want to hear the end of this because this is an important issue. Folks, stick with us. I think it's quite understandable. It's a big case, and it was won today. And we have just one more little piece of it we're going to pursue. So we'll be right back with the lead litigator. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. I'm on with Greg Tufel, who argued the case in the uh, Commonwealth Appellate Court in Pennsylvania. The next stop is the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. The, uh, the losers, the government of the Democrat Party and others have already jumped there, and they hope to be uh, resurrected through that court. Would you be arguing the case? Do you know, Greg, there? If it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court or where? the uh, state the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court, I would. Yeah, yeah, in the state Supreme Court, I would be arguing it. Yes, if we get all the way again to the U.S. Supreme Court, hopefully Ted Cruz would once again be willing to take up the gauntlet. We'd happily accept his help again. Yeah, because that's a whole different type of situation. People may not realize that uh, going yeah. to a U.S. Supreme Court versus a state court—you know, different kind of background experience for a lot of people. And by the way. If people want to contact you because you have demonstrated yourself to be indefatigable, you've demonstrated yourself to be really, um, you know, a man who's willing to take on the, the system because the system has been coming at you, these big law firms and everything else. If you want them to, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they can reach me through the firm website, which is just OGCLaw.net. And, what does that stand uh, for? You know, uh, outside general counsel, the firm actually does mostly business law, creating businesses, drafting their contracts, and fighting their legal battles. So, But every now and then we get involved in constitutional issues and election law as well. Now, do you think this helps or hurts? Helps what the firm, the practice? The firm. Yeah, I think it actually does. It does help. There are people who will hold it against us that we were willing to litigate these issues. And certainly last year, it was unbelievable the amount of uh, uh, harassment that we suffered uh, in taking on this cause. The, I had co-counsel day one of the case last in 2020 when we brought the original case. And on day two, I had no co-counsel because they harassed him and his partners and his family so much that his partners pressured him to drop the case. And there were other firms, as you know, in other cases that were pressured out of cases due to harassment. But I'll tell you this, for all the negative emails, phone calls, and even some handwritten negative letters that I got, it was probably about a five to one ratio of supportive, positive letters, calls, and emails. So for every client we may have lost or their anger over our involvement in this case, I think we gained four or five more. I would encourage people to uh, write you and thank you. I would encourage people uh, to support your firm. Let me ask you this. What, what, ta- what county is your firm located in? 
Allegheny County in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Anything else you want to tell us? Well, we were saying why we're disappointed with one aspect of the case, which is the, the in, in a oh, right. footnote. Yeah. The Commonwealth yeah. Court said, because we've, we've ruled in your favor on the state law claims, we don't need to reach the federal claims. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's accurate. The federal claims are separate, and it was a separate claim for relief. So we're actually going to be appealing that part of the decision, mm-hmm. uh, the, the refusal to even decide the federal claims. Um, and I do think that the federal claims are hopefully a reason why the U.S. Supreme Court might be more mm-hmm. likely than otherwise to take an interest in what, what otherwise would appear to be only a state law case. I but, agree 100%. Uh, hoping that, we don't have to go. Yeah. But that's the hook that gets you in, I think. I think yes, that's right. I think if, if we have any chance, it's still going to be an uphill battle to get them to, mm-hmm. to take the case, unfortunately. But um, hopefully we won't have to do it, and the PA Supreme Court will do the right thing. All right. Well, keep up the great work. You, uh, you do a great job, and I understand you're a very, very nice man, too. So we appreciate that, Greg Tufel. You take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Mark. Take care. All right. You, too. Now listen to that gentleman, how competent he is, business-like he is, soft-spoken he is. Definitely could never be a liberal Democrat lawyer. Do you agree with me, Mr. Producer? You get a slob like this Mark Elias in there. That guy's never missed a meal in his life. As a matter of fact, he eats six meals a day. Six squares no matter what. Looks like it to me. I'm just saying. And I think he's a real punk, this guy, Elias. You know, he uses the law the way he does, and... It's probably one of the reasons that uh, the Sunday shows, uh, the, the propaganda so-called news platforms out there have never run, really done an, a, uh, a full analysis of this guy, the cases he's brought, what he did prior to 2020. The legal analysts never do an analyst of him, never do an, an analysis of him, Mr. Producer, do they? No, they don't. And why is that? Why is that? Because they like him. Because they agree with him. Because they don't want to expose him to the kind of legal analysts that they uh, pretend to give to everybody else. But uh, that's the way it is. Um, Let's take some calls here, Mr. Producer. To whom shall I speak? I lost the damn thing. I'm On the Mark Levin app, Mike, Baltimore, Maryland, how are you? I'm trying to get it here. Mike, how are you? Is that, is, that, is that me? Uh, it's actually Moncton, which is uh, more than Baltimore County. But what's your name? Mike. Mike. That's what I said. Mike. Mike Robinson. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Mike. Mike are and you, Mike. It's like we're are all you Mike? everybody's Mike. Um, are you Mike? I'm Mike. Yeah. How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, my friend. Go ahead. You're, you're amazing. I I can't wait for Sunday. Um, Thank you. I have you DVR'd regardless in case somebody decides to change my channel on me. Yeah. Some, sometimes uh, the Tell better to cut it is out. control the remote. You know how that works. Yes. Um, I Not just, really. We have like 400 TVs here. If somebody wants to watch something else, they move to the other room. Up with uh, rhinos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm saying maybe it's time for some dinos. Where they've gerrymandered these districts, or you got to be a Republican, uh, get somebody in there that's going to be, oh, Mr. Party Line Democrat, and then once he's in, he's on our side. Thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need all the help we can get. Mm-hmm. We are on the hairy edge. Um, You're not kidding, and you got some of these, uh, a lot of these um, so called moderates are absolute frauds, as you well know. 
these Democrats. They're not. How can be a moderate and vote for Pelosi to be your leader? I, I don't know how you could do that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how she's still there. I mean, my father's father's father told him that um, politicians treat him like underwear, change him as often as possible. The longer mm-hmm. they're in, the more connected they are, and the more they can steal. And they mm-hmm. do. How, do. how do you go in there, Paul? Poor and come out a millionaire. And, and, they all, and a lot of them seem to do it, don't they? I mean, how is Biden a multimillionaire when he spent his entire life in the Senate? He's a multimillionaire. I think we know how, don't we? Just president. Mm-hmm. All right, it's, Mike. It's scary. Give Mike my best there. You take care of yourself. All right, Mr. Producer. Anybody else? Uh, any irregular America? Hold on. Let me, let me give this a try. Let me, let me force the issue here. Hold on a second. Son of a gun. Here we go. Hold on now. Hold on. I'm going to get this thing done. America, just talk among yourselves. I still don't have the damn thing. Uh, Joe, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, where's XM Satellite, I think. How are you? Uh, Mr. Levin. How are you? Yes, sir. Uh, if you. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, decides to invade the Ukraine and put a puppet government in, um, can we not freeze his assets worldwide? Yeah, and, we can freeze and, them all over the place. Access to world banking. I mean, if he cannot convert his currency, his rubles, into dollars and euros, uh, you can basically use the ruble as toilet paper. Yeah, your point is it's worthless, and you're right. And uh, yes, we can. And by the way... We can do it to the communist Chinese, too. It's one of the things I've argued for over the years, isn't it, Rich? That we ought to use our banking system. And fi- the problem is the Democrats and the left in this country are doing it against us, making our dollar valueless. So it's a big problem. But to answer your question, yes, we can punish them mightily in that way. Yeah, I am you you must be a uh, neocon. I worked at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I was a deck holder, first option CDs. I worked in the IMN. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I understand. Uh, That's what I thought, you know, the IMN. I, was a young... I thought, hold on now, the IMN, did you say? IMN, yeah. yeah now, may I, I ask you, what is the IMN? I don't even know what the IMN is. No offense. The IMN is the in- International Monetary Market. Oh, you know, uh, oh, the, the IMM always, yeah, IMM, yes, sir, yeah, uh, uh Mold okay. Roads, yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked for mm-hmm. the vice president of Shearson, uh, held his back as mm-hmm. a very young man, and uh, I've heard, I it. understand it, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he was a great guy, uh, Ryan yeah. Rager, yeah, great man. All yeah. right, my friend, I've got to run. We'll be right back. Mark. Love in. Well, Ukraine has the right to be independent, and they have been an independent country since 1991. Russia signed the Budapest Memorandum in 1994 with the United States and Great Britain. 
that guaranteed the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine. It's the policy of the United States government to continue to support an independent Ukraine and their goals. And we are continuing our effort to enhance their ability to protect themselves. This is what we've been talking about here for some time now, this Budapest Accords. You don't see it discussed much at all, actually, uh, by the uh, pro-Putin wing of the Democrat and Republican parties. And that is this memorandum in 1994, where... uh, Ukraine agreed to give up all its nuclear weapons, which it had inherited when the uh, Soviet Union fell apart. In 1994, in a signed memorandum, and this was at the behest of Russia, signed by Russia, the United States, Britain, and Ukraine, that Russia, the United States, and Britain would recognize Ukraine as an independent country, recognize its sovereign borders, and help protect it. That's what Millie's talking about. Don't forget Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, folks. It's a fantastic show. The great Tom Cotton, Gordon Chang. Tom is going to discuss Russia. Gordon Chang is going to discuss China, the greatest, one of the greatest experts in the country on the subject, and we're going to jump deep. So if you can't watch it live, please DVR the show. It's very, very important, I think. I think you're going to hear new and deep perspectives. And we really appreciate you watching it every Sunday. Stick with us. This Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. Here you go, in your honor.
right, folks, please don't forget this Sunday, while there's football, Mark, the hell with football. Or you can DVR the show. That's fine, too. Please watch us, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox, Life, Liberty, and Levin. I know you're going to love Look, I only do it once a week. I don't do five nights a week. Once a week, Sunday night, just for you. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey and Griffey. Good night, Pepsi and Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. Good night, Barney. I'll see you Sunday, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo, and good night, Joe. See you later.